Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. So today we're going to continue in the book of Romans, and we're going to enter into Romans chapter 9. And this is one of those pivotal changes. So today I'm going to kind of set the table a little bit for what's going to be happening here. And we'll be doing Romans throughout the rest of the summer, though. It's, sometimes I'll be taking some breaks and we'll have some elders be sharing as well, which is awesome because I love that in the EPC, our, our ruling elders are called to at times teach and to share. If you're not sure how that works in the EPC, I am what's called a teaching elder or a pastor. I am clergy. That's the fancy word that we use for the church. I am ordained and called out for that, and I'm a member of the presbytery. That's my, my role. I don't belong to any, any local church, no Kirk or local church. If you're Scottish, you know what that's about. I belong to the presbytery, and I'm what's called a teaching elder. Presbyteros, the word we have in Greek for elder, that's me. And then we have our ruling elders, those who are elected here, but they're also ordained and installed. We do that here, and they belong to the local church, and they seek the mind of Christ to guide the local church. But our elders also teach. They are called also into a role of spiritual leadership. And as the Lord provides, they do share the Word of God, which is super awesome, to be honest with you. It makes my life uh, really exciting at times because I get to see how God works in and through them. I am not magic or special, but I am called and equipped to share God's Word. But they teach as well. And so as we enter into this pivotal part of the book of Romans, we are going to give you some breaks because this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. You can see from the title of uh, this passage, Sorrow. Sounds exciting. Isn't it what you want to hear about in the middle of the summer, right? Sorrow is November when you realize we're going to get three feet of snow, right? (laughs) Don't anybody say that they wish that we had more rain or more snow ever again. I don't want to hear that. But right now, let's be honest, it's pretty hot. So I was thinking about sorrow. I was in my gym the other day, and my gym is a big metal hanger. It's like a Vietnamese hot box, only larger, with fitness equipment inside of it. And so I was in there exercising, and I heard some people muttering, and they were talking, are you sure? Did you check it? I realized one of them was one of our our trainers, the guy that I think uh, owns the place, and I'm sitting there thinking, huh, what's going on? Then I realized they're huddled around a thermometer inside the gym. And they have fans that run. We don't have air conditioning. I don't go to a frou-frou place. It was 99 degrees at 9 a.m. in my gym the other morning. 99 degrees. I hadn't even started moving yet. It was hot. Isn't it hot? Well, it's tempting this time of year to preach in, in, in true Presbyterian fashion at Jonathan Edwards' hell and brimstone kind of fire and brimstone kind of sermon. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to talk this morning about how hard it is, how much sorrow we do find in God's Word as we learn, as we understand this idea of being God's reprobate, that we understand the idea that God does call some into relationship with Him, and He does indeed allow or even send into sovereignty people go to hell. We believe that, and we're going to learn about that because God's Word teaches it. Whenever people say, well, Christians disagree on that, friends, as we look at Romans 9, 10, 11, you're going to see, honestly, there's no disagreement. There shouldn't be because God's Word is very clear. It's not really something we can interpret. And in the wholeness of God's Word, we will look at other passages in Scripture as well 
God's word does indeed have harmony and understanding. God is almighty over the universe, and not everyone goes to heaven. Not everyone goes to heaven. And as we reflect on this reality of the life we live here and now, where there is hard times, where there is pain and difficulty, and the life yet to come, we're going to understand what it means to belong more fully to him. So let's look here as we set the stage for this shift in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, But the Holy Spirit has inspired him to say, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. What's being said there? What's going on? As we enter into this passage, I want you to understand, you've heard me joke about this. The reason I don't give you 10 days to make your day happier, 10 ways to feel warm and fuzzy, the reason I, the reason I don't do that is because the reality of God's Word is important for us to understand. And when our faith isn't grounded in a biblical reality, it's not grounded in the eternal experience truth of who God is and how we exist as spiritual beings. Let me say that again. If our faith is not grounded in a biblical reality. We don't understand the God whom we say we serve. We don't understand what it means to live and to serve Him in this life. We don't get it. It doesn't add up. It does not make sense. Far too often, Christians don't understand God's Word. And the world around us look at us and say, See? And the reality is, we want to make God in our image, and often we do that. We make him more like the genie from Aladdin. Now, whether you want that to be the Robin Williams genie or the Will Smith genie is up to you. They're both kind of cool in different ways, but neither of them are like the God of the Bible. And I've heard even leaders in the church make references recently like, well, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the genie from Aladdin. No! That's not what God's Word teaches. But yet, we need to understand what God's Word does teach because we want to understand what it means as sinners living in God's grace, and we want to understand this passage. And this part of Scripture, Romans 9, is one of those passages that pastors often skip over. But I said we're going to go through the book of Romans. We're actually going to understand it. So I'm preaching through chapter 9, and we're going to look at the hard stuff. We're going to look at it. And Paul here is reflecting on what it means to live in a world full of sinners like him, like you and like me. Someone asked me, uh, I was at the doctor's office, I guess about a month ago, and I always love it when people do this. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Like at a church? Yep, that's how that works. Yep. <laughs> I am. And usually at that point, people start to like look at their phones or something and pretend that they never met me. But this guy, he was, he was a fun guy, and he said to me, he, this guy looked at me, he said, it was he and his wife, and 
He said to me, uh, so what do you do with all the stupid people that you meet? <laughs> now, I'm sure he wasn't talking about any of you. I didn't know how to answer that, and so I, I said, uh, how do you mean? That's what I say when I, I want to get more information. You've probably heard me say that to some of you. How do you mean? What do you mean? He said, well, there's a lot of stupid, messed up people in the world. And I'm sitting there thinking, I might be sitting with one of them right now, but okay. Uh, like this guy, bam, went right for the throat. I didn't know what to do. I said, oh, yeah, I guess there are some uh, messed up people in the world. I said, but the Lord loves all of them as well. And he said, but what do you do as a pastor? He said, well, I have very low expectations of what to expect sometimes. How about that? And the guy goes... Okay, that makes sense to me. I'm like, oh, good. I found some way to have a conversation with this guy. But let's be honest, guys. I've been around for a while. I'm a preacher. I've done this for about a quarter of a century now. I'm starting to learn a little bit about it. I know when you're lying to me. 99.9% .9 of the time, when you walk away and you think, Whew, I know you're lying to me because, first of all, your spouse or someone else or one of your kids has already told me what's going on. So they've sold you out already. Or because the Holy Spirit and God is sovereign and powerful and loving and merciful, I think, nope, that's not what God said. Or that doesn't feel right. And oftentimes I'll just think, oh, something's not, something's not right. And later on, blammo. But you know what? I know it because I'm a sinner too. I know what it's like. I'm not a perfect person either. And so the reality, the sorrow that Paul's expressing here, pastors understand it. Church leaders, your elders who love you and pray for you and care, you understand it about each other, about your kids, your grandkids, your spouses, your friends. We get it. And so the importance of having a biblical faith here, the sorrow that Paul's expressing, we may not like in the church, we may want life to be a little friendlier, fluffier, and just kind of get what we want, but that's not really good. And that's not what Paul says we're supposed to have in the life of the church. And here in the book of Romans, Romans 9.13, we're going to look at some passages. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Remember when we talked about Jacob and Esau at Father's Day? You thought that was just about Father's Day, didn't you? No. Hopefully you remember that we talked about Jacob and Esau just a couple weeks ago. Why does God choose to have mercy the way he does? Why does God love us? Why does God save us and call us and not others? Paul wants us to know this reality. It's painful. It keeps him up at night. The sin and the brokenness that I deal with, it keeps me up at night. It hurts. The sorrow that Paul's expressing here is simply that he knows that not everyone is going to live an eternal redemption with God. They're not. They're not going to have mercy. Some are going to be called as God's elect, and some are going to be the reprobate. They're not going to go. They want hell, and God lets them have it. And the rest of us, God touches us, even though we all kind of want what's sin and evil. We've learned about that all the way through Romans 1 through 8. We've understood that we're all sinners. None of us deserve it. None of us are called. And Paul here says, you know all that, and so in reality, the truth of Christ who comes and redeems. He says, I'm not lying. I want you to know this. This isn't just some hyperbole I'm saying. This hurts me deep in the depths of my soul and my conscience. I want you to see this. Look at me. Bear witness. Understand 
The Spirit here is guiding me. I want you to know I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul is someone who knows Christ's redemption, who calls himself the chief of sinners, who was the great persecutor of the church, who became the great champion, the missionary of the church. The reality is he sees people that just don't get it, don't want to get it, they don't care for it, and he says, I, I, I know I can't change their heart, and the reality is it breaks his heart. It's tearing out his guts, and so briefly this morning as we set the table, what breaks your heart? What hurts you? There's a, a Christian song by an artist named Brandon Heath that came out a couple years ago, ago and the song it says, give me your eyes uh, for just one second. And so he wants to see the world as God sees it. The people he passes on the street, the, the sorrow, the hurt, the things they're going through. And this whole song, he's praying, he's saying, God, let me see people the way you see them. Let me understand here. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, I know these people don't want anything to do with what God is offering them. God's saying, here, just take this. I love you. This isn't about like we've warned in the book of Romans. It's not about you getting it right. It's about that Christ, he already paid the price. Just surrender your life. And in their sin, they're not going to do that. And Paul is torn up. What tears your guts out? What keeps you up at night? What breaks your heart? Is it aligned with what breaks God's heart? Everybody says, hey, you know what, Pastor, it would be great if we did this. And I say, great, let's do it. I can't do it. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, I can't go. I, I'm so busy. If what tears God's heart up doesn't tear your heart up, you're not really aligned with God's heart. And Paul here is saying, he's saying, man, this is important he wants us to see the centrality of the cross. If we're Christians, if we're Christ bearers, if we're people that are going to understand this, we have to understand that living as Christ lived is by nature sacrificial. Yeah, we want you to give your money. Yeah, we need it to run the church. People always push me, oh, the money, the budget, the this and that. I'll sell the building tomorrow if Jesus tells us to, guys. Jesus doesn't save people with buildings. They're helpful. The cross is central. Christ is central. There are Christians doing incredible work that have no shoes in Africa right now. There are Christians being killed in China every week that you don't hear about on the news. You know, they don't have a building. They don't even have rights that we have here. We celebrate our freedom, but what do we do with it? I'm talking to myself, not just to you. I can't hide behind my pastor card on this. Paul here says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed. Paul's saying, What if I didn't know Jesus? I would trade my salvation. I would go to hell and let someone go to heaven. I'd be cut off from Christ for all eternity for the sake of one of my brothers. See, Paul was that great Pharisee, and when he became a Christian, they turned on him. They beat him. There are guys that took vows. I'm never going to eat or drink until we find Paul and kill him. 
He gave up everything. You don't think Christians in Syria and Iran and Saudi Arabia are doing that? They are. Last Sunday we started talking about, this is the month when we think about persecution in the church. The reason I keep bringing it up is Christians are being murdered at rates never before seen around the world. And they're not real popular here at home. Do we understand the centrality of the cross? Paul says, I'd give up my faith for another one of those in Israel, those who understood, those who belong. Are we wrecked by the reality of people who don't know Jesus? Are we? That's how Paul feels here. It's a simple idea today, but it's one of the hardest ones. Do we have deep love and compassion for those outside of Christ? Do we have a restless and relentless urgency to share Christ with them? Whose eyes do we have when we look at the people that we see all around us? Do we invite them to church? Do we care for them? Do we want to come? I'm talking with our elders. We're trying to come up with a way to really provide discipleship opportunities so you guys are comfortable sharing your faith in reasonable ways, not some speech you walk up and read to somebody or some weird thing like that, just knowing the basics of your faith. I'm not preaching through Romans because it's easy. I'm preaching through it because I believe it provides us with the foundation to understand our faith so when other people are broken before us and God provides that opportunity, you feel confident to share what it means to know Jesus and the hope you have. That's what I'm trying to do. I want us to understand our faith. I want us to see the proclamation of the gospel as key to our faith. It's what we need to see is why God has brought us here. It's important. I'm going to share with you here a, a story from Dr. John MacArthur. He shared it before. So there was a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occurred, and there was a, a small, a crude life-saving station there. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat and a few devoted members. But they kept a constant watch over the sea, and through no thought for their own safety and their no well-being, they would work tirelessly and day and night searching for the lost, those whose boats were wrecked, on the rocks and on the shoreline. Many lives were saved by this little life-saving station, and the station became very, very famous. And those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area waters wanted to become associated with the station. They wanted to give their time and help with the effort. They gave their money, and they gave of themselves, and new boats were bought, and new crews were trained, and the life-saving station was not so little anymore. It grew. Some of the members were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped, and they felt a little more comfortable place should be built and more than just the, where they found their refuge. So they refurnished the building, they expanded it, they worked on it. And now the station became a popular gathering place for the members. They decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely and it became a sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going on life-saving missions and they hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motive still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where club 
initiations were held, and this time a large ship wrecked off the coast at this very time when they were working on that, and there were the dirty and the sick, and some of them looked different and acted different and were hurting, and the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside of the club. As the club continued to meet, there was a split. Some of the members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose, pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, and yet others voted it down. As the years went by, the new station experienced some changes, uh, just like the old one. It became a club. Those who split off their life-saving station became like the one they had left. And now if you visit that same coast today, you will find a number of exclusive life-saving station clubs along the shoreline. The shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but more often than not now, the people drown. John MacArthur shared that story from the pulpit once at his church. But most interesting is he shared where he learned that story. It was published many years ago in the Presbyterian Journal of the PCUSA, the denomination we came out of. See how this works? We must understand what God has given us. We must understand that we are called to share it in the small and in the large things. That's what God's calling us to do. I don't share that as a condemnation of our church in particular, but because it's the way of the human heart, that's why Paul is sharing it. When we cease to have that sorrow, when we only want what's comfortable, when we don't understand our mission to share the good news, we don't understand the good news itself. We don't understand. I'm reminded of passages like Jeremiah 9.1. That's a passage that you may not remember and you may have not ever read it. It's a powerful passage here. And in God's word, <laughs> Jeremiah says, uh, oh, my, oh, that my headwaters and mine eyes, a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the stain of the daughter of my people. You see, Jeremiah there, he wished that he could just cry out all the hurt and all the anguish bottled up. But yet in reality, he's broken because he's seeing all the destruction in the world around him. I don't know about you, but I feel like that. When I look at our world, I, I look at all the hurt, I look at all the violence and all the bitterness. People are self-indulgent because it's our sinful nature outside the church, inside the church. But that self-indulgent kind of Christianity makes our church nothing more than an activity center. And we must continue, as we've done, to fight against that. That's what Paul is warning the church in Rome, those who understand this idea that they've been adopted. Paul says, those in the world around you, though they're different of you, God has given them the truth as well, and they should have that same adoption. He says, look, God gave them all the truth of his word. He gave them the covenants. He led them by that pillar of cloud and fire. He gave them the Ten Commandments our kids are, were, are learning. They were, he was their God, the God of Abraham and Isaac, our, 
fantastic to be learning about that. The God of Jacob, the God who comes and saves, and he comes to them and says, I want you to belong to me. And Paul says, they should know all of it, but they don't. That warning that Israel receives should be our warning as well as God's people today. What we have is not something we should keep inside of here, but something we should be sharing to the world out there in every little thing that we do. What we have belongs to the world and not just to us. That's the spirit that's the spirit that Paul's expressing. It's the spirit we should have as well. We are God's people. We are adopted. We are called in. And just like Paul was called in, he loves his people, those he knows. We love our people. We love our nation. We love all that we've been provided here. We love people around the world who claim Christ, our brothers and sisters. We pray, we should pray for Christians in China, in Syria. We should pray for Christians around the world facing difficulties. We should pray for our nation, for our leaders. We should pray for our local leaders as well. We need to do a lot less complaining and a lot more serving. We need to do a lot less comfort. And we need to do some more sacrifice. Friends, what will you do with all that God has entrusted to you? All the freedom, all the opportunity that you have. I want to challenge you as we close here today to think about someone you know, someone you can interact with in your daily life. I've asked you guys to be thinking about this. Really pray about that this week because what I want you to do is I want you to come in and I want you to write down their name. Maybe you've done this. We talked about this a couple months ago. I told you we were going to bring it back up. We're going to have a card in the bulletin next week. I want you to write down their name and then we're going to ask you if you want to drop it when you leave next week because our elders are going to pray with you. All you can do is put down their name, Bob, whatever their name is. Maybe you think your pastor is godless apostate, that's fine. You can put that down. Pray for Bob, he doesn't know Jesus. That's fine, okay. Whoever it is, and this is not a condescending thing, I'm being silly, but if there's someone you know, maybe it's the lady I see every week at the gym. Maybe it's if you have a, a set cadence in your life, you pass cars and you see certain cars with a, a sticker or a license plate. You see that person every, every morning on the way to work and they just look so unhappy. Whoever that person is, I want you to pray. If God puts that person on your life, I want you to write it down and we're going to have a time. We're going to dedicate that. And we're going to pray for us to have the courage, and if we're able, and the, the opportunity, if God provides it, to share with them encouragement, to, to share with them what we, we know, and say, hey, just smile at them and say, hey, how are you? I'm praying for you. All the things we talk about, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If it's someone closer and deeper and nearer to you, a friend, a coworker, a schoolmate, whatever it is, I want you to have the opportunity to pray for them and to know that you're not just praying for them, but your elders are praying for them as well. What will you do with all of the freedom and opportunity that God has given to you? Let's pray. Father, that we would know what it means to belong to you. That we would understand that we don't just preach that we're saved by grace here, we live it out in the world around us. That we would 
be okay with the reality that the real God of Scripture is, is the God that tells us, yeah, not everybody goes to heaven. But since we don't know who that is, we're not God, we ask that you would give us discernment in our hearts, that we would preach and share the love of Christ with everyone, that we would care for everyone, that we would see everyone as valuable, as worthwhile. God's a God of freedom. He doesn't just lock us in like little robots. But yet for all of us who in our own sin would choose hell because that's what sin is, it's destruction, it's addiction, it's brokenness, we all know it in different ways. God, give us that desperation that we would be the people that go out and risk our life and limb to save those who are trapped, who are paralyzed in their sin. God, I think of even the guy we saw last night, the Kent Fireworks, who was stuck out in the water and the waves were rushing all around him and he felt trapped, that we would see our calling to go out like the folks did last night and to brave the dangers of that, to go out and to seek to save those who are hurting. God, that we would share the truth, that we would take the risks, that we would love and minister. God, whoever that name is that you give to each person today, whoever that is that you lay in their hearts, that they would have that same restlessness, that they would want to pray, that they would want to, to say, God, I, I'd do anything to have that person know you. God, I'd, I'd even give up what I have for them to know you. Lord, make that the center of who we are as your church. And not just our church, God, every church. We all struggle with it. We're not, God, we're not especially good or bad. This isn't meant to attack us as a church, but the reality of the gospel, the reason preachers don't preach this chapter, it's so hard. It's so hard to recognize the reality of our world. So use us, God. Lay that person's name on our heart this week that we would come in and that we would know that we are praying for them and that someone's praying alongside us. We pray. We ask that you would just give us that guidance, Lord, that discernment and that desire to love and to share this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.